the name of God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. The sermon today is a little bit different. Uh, we're having our annual meeting, as you know, is postponed because of COVID, and I, I want to just say how um, it touches my heart to see the loyal turnout that we've had this morning so that we can conduct our business and, and um, fulfill all righteousness in the annual meeting of the Cathedral Congregation. On the table by the narthex there, and you'll have a chance right after the service if you haven't already gotten those documents to pick them up. There is a copy of the address that I would have normally given in, in January. We sent it out. It's reproduced there today. And I just want to add a few comments to that today. Um, it's been a hard season, the COVID season, I'm sure, in your life in the world, apart from the cathedral, in your, in your, in your job, in your home, it's been a hard, it's been a hard season. It's, uh, uh, nothing that we're being asked to do is all that onerous in some ways, but uh, over time it gets, uh, it gets uh, burdensome. And people are very weary, people are very tired. People are very fatigued. I've heard the word, the phrase uh, pandemic fatigue. I think that's a real thing. And I just want to give my personal gratitude for the uh, faithfulness, the resilience, the creativity, the courage, and the perseverance of the cathedral congregation, of our key volunteers upon whom a lot of extra work has fallen and, 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 for, the, and for, the, uh, for the staff. Uh, everybody is doing everything that they've always done. But then there's this other layer of stuff on, on top of that. And um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge, but we, are, we, are, we have risen to it and we are, by God's grace, persisting. Uh, Mr. Easterly will, will give, um, will answer questions about our financial report and the report of the Finance Committee that documents on the back as, as well. The news in brief is that we, we, um, we ended the year in January. Um, you know, good, right? We, we, we weren't behind. And um, we are projecting that we will have no more than our usual worrisome deficit in the year that is coming. And we've usually been able to almost zero that out, if not completely zero it out, just by careful management. So uh, we, we've come through this. It's been a hard season, and, 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 and we're, we're on a good path for the next year. The Cathedral congregation have been growing, the Sunday morning congregation had been growing before the pandemic. We were getting up 140, 100 and really good Sunday, 150 between the two services on Sunday. During the pandemic, of course, there was a time when we couldn't have in-person um, services at all, and then 20, 25, uh, 35. Now, it was coming back, you know. Um, we were up to 75 on Sunday morning. There's another surge, we're being set back, we're being sat back again. We know that our people are still with us. One way that we know that is that our collection of pledges, uh, money collected over money pledged, is in the 90 percent, uh, goes up and down month by month at 95, 96, 
uh, Mr. Easterly, you'll have the exact figure for us. That would be, that would be a, a sign of a strong loyalty and strong commitment even in ordinary times. And so in this time when people are sending in their, their pledges even though they're not able to be there in person, that's very, very um, encouraging indeed. We also know that people are following us online because on the rare Sundays when we have some technical difficulty or can't for some other reason manage to get online that Sunday, we hear about it. And uh, so people say, please you know, make sure this keeps coming because we're really depending upon it. Another blessing that has been uh, forced upon us by the pandemic is we've been forced to put our educational events and our outreach through the arts online. And this has increased the participation of people from other churches in the diocese. It's increased the participation from people from other Christian churches, a great dream of mine. Um, uh, before the pandemic, our Evensong congregation was, was growing. We would have as, we've had as many as 100 people for an Evensong congregation. I've always hoped that would be an ecumenical congregation and that the cathedral would be the cathedral not only for the Diocese of Albany, but it would be the cathedral for people in, in those sorts of churches that don't really have a cathedral, but yet they need one. And here we are, and we're not trying to steal them from their church, but we're here to serve the whole body of Christ. And so when we have an Evensong or a Bible symposium, and we've got Pentecostal pastors and Roman Catholic seminarians, I, I, I praise God. That's exactly what I think we should be doing. Um, so, we, we, we yearn for the day when we can get back to all of that. But some of that we've been able to maintain by putting our offerings on, online. The other blessing, God always has blessings hidden inside uh, struggle and challenge, difficulty, trouble. He always has a way of turning these things inside out he has blessings that are hidden inside them. And one of the blessings, I think, for us is that we've had to be very clear about what's essential. Now, there are many things that we would ordinarily do that we simply cannot do. We're, we, either we're, we're prohibited from do, doing them, or we, we, we just because of reduced personnel, we're not able to swing it. And it's actually been a blessing, I believe, because it's forced us to ask the question, well, what's essential? And what is, what is essential? What is essential is the worship of the church. What is essential is the worship of the church. What is essential is the Holy Eucharist. One of my heroes is a East, uh, Russian Orthodox priest and writer of the 20th century, Alexander Schmemann. His family were white Russian refugees uh, who landed in Paris and then came to this country. And he wrote a wonderful book uh, called For the Life of the World. In that book, he talked about, well, what is, what does it mean to be a human being? And you've heard homo sapiens, right? Um, humanity, the knower, right? And, uh, and the Marxist says homo uh, faber, uh, humanity, human beings, makers. Right? He says, no, what is a human being? Homo adorans. Human, a human being, the priest, the one who gives praise and worship to God, essential to who we are as human beings, essential to the human community, 
and essential, fundamental, primary for the life of the church. We've been forced back upon that central mission. Worship requires, um, in, uh, I love these words, which I've stolen from the uh, fifth rector of the church, where I was the 10th rector, had 10 rectors in 250 years, and the fifth rector, great man in every way, said that what he was trying to accomplish in the church was he was trying, by God's grace, to help produce a congregation of intelligent worshipers. Now, this is 19th century language. Intelligent worshipers means not people with a high IQ, although everybody here has an above average IQ. Um, uh, uh, but uh, that's not what he means. What he means is people who are so saturated with the word of God and who have had the faith so well uh, open to them that on Sunday morning they know what they're doing. When they say their prayers, they know what they're doing. That's the central mission of the church. It continues to be the central mission of the church. I've held up before you, before the example of the Russian Orthodox churches during the height of the Soviet regime. During the height of the Soviet regime, the Orthodox churches were not allowed to visit the sick. Uh, of course, they couldn't go into the hospitals, but they weren't even allowed to make home visits. They weren't allowed to do any kind of charitable work. They were not allowed even to have religious instruction for the children of the congregation. The only thing they were allowed to do was to have worship, uh, to celebrate the divine liturgy. And yet people came to Christ and were incorporated into the body of Christ. And it was a trickle, but towards the end of that regime, it had become a stream. What was going on? What was going on? People stepped out of the gray, barren, and banal Soviet street and they stepped into one of those beautiful Orthodox churches, which was full of color and something for every one of your senses. Something to see, something to hear, something to smell, something to put your hands upon. Instead of the deadening routine that a bureaucratized state imposes upon its citizens, They went through those doors and were swept up into a cosmic drama. Instead of disorder and squalor and mediocrity, they found ordered beauty, striving for excellence and everything as best as it could be. Instead of a spirit of anxiety and dread, they found a spirit of peace. Instead of the loneliness and alienation that comes from a society where everyone is a potential enemy, might be informing on you to the state, and where every relationship is fraught with fear, they found a community characterized by mercy, charity, forgiveness, friendship.
Instead of a God-forsaken world, they stepped into a God-saturated world. Now, our contemporary situation is nowhere near as uh, daunting as that, but it's daunting enough. And there's much that we can't do and much that we can't control, but here's what we can control. By God's grace, we can. By God's grace, we can't do anything without God's grace. But by God's grace, we can control the heart and soul and disciplined preparation that we put into the worship of the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And this is, this is costly. It requires, has required, it does require, it will continue to require much of us. And the phrase the church uses over and over, in time, in talent, and in treasure, requires sacrifice. But we're promised the life of sacrifice, the way of the cross, is the way of life. It's the way of joy. Two scriptures that I want to hold before us in the time that we're moving into. One is from the book of Genesis, the 28th chapter, the 17th verse. Jacob has wrestled all night long with the angel. And he stands up and he says... Surely, this is the house of God. Surely, this is the gate of heaven. And I want to connect with that verse, another verse, which we heard in the Gospel Alleluia today, Psalm 24, verse 7. What's going on is the psalmist is envisaging, envisioning the Lord God coming to his people. And the, the gates of the holy space, the gates of the holy city, need to be opened. And metaphorically speaking, the psalmist is saying to them, open them up, lift them higher, enlarge them. Make way, make ready. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory will come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Our call, I think, always, always has been, but is becoming even clearer now. Our call is to lift up the gates. To make ready to have everything well prepared. And whether we're talking about the, the gate that is this house of God or the gate that the Lord wants to open in your heart, in my heart, and in the community, the Holy Communion that we share with each other, in and through him, who is our Lord and Savior. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. In the name of God the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.